This Sunday is the last Sunday in our Philippians series. Since the beginning of 2022, we have been uh, diving into the book of Philippians. And so uh, to conclude our time together, we wanted to offer you the book of Philippians in whole, read by four readers. And so I'd like to invite those readers forward. You may notice that they span the generations uh, because not only do we, we believe that scripture speaks to all of us, um, but the gift of it uh, spoken through a variety of voices is also important. So at this time, uh, the, the letter of Philippians is four chapters in the Bible long, uh, about two pages. And so I invite you to settle in a little bit. Uh, maybe it's helpful for you to close your eyes, to hear this, this whole letter read in its entirety so that you might catch on to the themes. Uh, you might notice the way that God is speaking it in a new way. Thank you, readers, for your faithful work with this text. Paul and Timothy, servants, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former teach Christ, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. <clears throat> Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, again your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain concern. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cured when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are all with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Kate, to Caesar's household. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be in, will be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emerson and Astrid and Kathy and Mel. We uh, are grateful for the work you put in to that, and it's a, it's a powerful way to hear Scripture. I also want to thank Jim Brendan, the team lead for Creative Arts. He, he took the lead on that project, pulled the people together and coached them a bit. And um, so that's really great. My name is Scott, and I am one of the pastors here. I've been here for coming up on seven years, if you can believe that. I am very happy about that. <clears throat> so, um, thank you, those who are in the stream and those who are in the room, for being here, being present, um, bringing your attention um, to this worship service. And thank you for being willing to listen to these words that I have put together. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit um, has, well, I know the Holy Spirit has something to say to you. <laughs> my prayer is that you will hear it clearly through uh, my voice right now. So today um, we're going to concentrate on chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Kathy read that section. I would like to read it again just to refresh your memory. Um, and uh, maybe you can uh, pay attention to what strikes me as almost a, an argument that Paul was having with himself. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of, our, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that uh, more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according 
to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a strange pair of paragraphs. <laughs> As I said, at first glance, it seems that the Apostle Paul is arguing with himself, unable to formulate his point clearly. It's like he's saying, it was cool of you to help me out, even though I didn't really need it. I mean, it's been rough at times, but it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm just saying, when I was in Thessalonica, nobody would help a brother out except all y'all. Not that I'm keeping track, though. So yeah, I'm good, but thanks. <laughs> it's kind of a mess. And it's especially funny because it follows right after that beautifully crafted exhortation from Paul about attending to whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. And then he follows it with this jumble. So, remembering that there's normally a method to Paul's madness, maybe he was not just tired or hangry or in a hurry to wrap up the letter. It makes me wonder if perhaps he's juggling these ideas because he wants to illustrate that they are not static, but in motion. He's uninterested in stuckness. He won't be stopped by his own wants and instinctual appetites. And he will not allow his Philippian friends to box check their generosity. It's not about being content with completing a chore. It's not a GoFundMe for Paul's pet project. He insists that their generosity must remain alive and in the flow of God's mission. You might have noticed in the reading of the letter, Timothy is mentioned a couple of times. So Timothy was like a, a protege of Paul's. And there are actually a couple of letters in the New Testament from Paul to Timothy. In one of them, uh, Paul talks about there being preachers who were leveraging their godliness for financial gain. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? But Paul's word to Timothy is godliness with contentment is great gain. So perhaps Paul means to jar the Philippians out of any potential temptation they might feel to curry his favor or somehow obligate him with their gifts. These are variations on the theme of stopping the flow of generosity. So Paul differentiates his contentment 
from his felt needs, both for his own sake and for the sake of the Philippians. We need this message today, friends. Contentment. It's more than a mildly interesting sermon point. My sense today is that the Spirit of God is offering us a handle on a durable, adaptable, and nimble contentment. Let's be clear, though. I would not preach this sermon to a congregation in Ukraine this morning. I would not presume to tell a Ukrainian anything about contentment right now. Nor any of the many other populations experiencing existential crises right now. However, that doesn't mean it is not the right word for us. I am convinced it is. So I'm going to talk about it. You're going to hear contentment so many times <laughs> this morning that, uh, well, hopefully it'll stick with you. Contentment is not simply settling for less than I want. It is letting my wants take second place to the gospel. Contentment is not just another word for giving up. The Apostle Paul is arguing for a kind of contentment that requires divine assistance. Look at what he says in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's the King James Version. Which was first published more than 400 years ago, and it sounds like it. For those of you who are new to all of this bible stuff, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to English translations of the Holy Scriptures. There are so many. But the KJV was the standard for a long, long time. Some of you might recall when, even after transitioning to a modern translation for our devotions and our study, Many of us still preferred the King James Version for memorization. It can be tough to understand, but it sure is pretty. Philippians 4.13 has long been a verse cherry-picked for memorization and for printing on mugs and plaques. It's not a free-floating declaration, though. Where is it pointing? 
What is Paul talking about when he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? It's pointing to contentment. Contentment was Paul's secondary aim. His primary focus was to establish people and communities in Christian faith. He welcomed contentment along the way, of course. Contentment is not asceticism. It is not the harsh treatment of the body, to use a line from Paul's letter to the Colossians. But he's not going to prioritize personal satisfactions over the work of the gospel. He's not going to prioritize personal satisfactions over the work of the gospel. What is the work of the gospel? Remind yourself that it is far more than itinerant preaching and church planting. What does it mean in the context of your life? What does it mean for us as a church? The verses that my friend Wally read earlier in Yoruba John 13, 34 to 35, are the words of Jesus. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the beating heart of the work of the gospel. Holding our contentment as a concern that is secondary to the work of the gospel allows us to be more fully present in the moment. Rather than perpetually pending, rather than being distracted by wants, rather than fidgeting over their fulfillment, or self-consciously depriving ourselves, we can live and move in the flow of God's good kingdom of grace. So, mission friends, how goes your walk? How goes your contentment? Are you living for something more than momentary satisfaction or momentary denial, for that matter? Is your contentment portable? Does it travel well? Because if we're about a walk, it needs to travel well. 
What is your contentment telling people about your convictions? What is the testimony of your contentment? Is your contentment arguing for the relevancy of your religion? What does your contentment have to say about your apprenticeship to Jesus? Jesus. 